Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Uh, so today we're looking at a verse I can't wait for us to talk about because this verse, I'll just tell you in advance, it's a familiar verse that many of you will love, and at the beginning of this message you're going to hate it, because we're going to talk about it. it doesn't quite mean what people often say it means, but here's the hope, and this is why I hope you'll stick with us. Because by the end of the message, the hope is that you will love the verse even more when you discover there are actually deeper riches in that verse than we often think. So we're going to look at that verse in just a second, but first, I want to give a quick update. Over the last two months, and then preview the next two months, because we just got to stop and, and just recognize and sort of celebrate what God has done over the last two months and, and give you a couple of like data points. One is, over the last two months, the month of April was the first month overall when we averaged more than 600 for the first time since the pandemic on a weekly average. And so it's exciting to see some growth happening. You know, it's just hard to see growth in this post-pandemic world where people are just a little bit uh, behaving a little bit differently, especially when it comes to church, to see some growth again, to see the momentum again, and to see giving and serving continue to increase over the last two months. Just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for the momentum that we have. It's been a good season of growth. Amen. And, and I also just want to stop and say thank you because of all of you and your faithfulness and your work, many of you who've been serving and part of this church for many years, you have created an opportunity for us to go and share Jesus with the next generation in a new place. It's because of what you've been faithfully doing that makes that possible. Together as a family, we are getting to share Jesus with the next generation, and there is nothing better than that. But... I also want to say, typically in a church, there are two seasons of growth, in the spring and then in the fall. However, sandwiched in between is this thing known as summer. And normally we don't break attendance records in the summer because we're all taking vacations. I've been asking many of you, have been telling me about some of these great places you're going to go this summer, and I love it, and we're going to take a vacation too. I say, let's enjoy those things. But when you're in town, this is our first summer in two campuses we would love it if you would be here because just your presence is a ministry as you encourage other people by being here this summer, our first summer. Because this fall is going to be a great fall. We're going to have great momentum as we're going to continue to grow this fall. We just got to hang on through the summer. So we're going to do that together as we participate together. And I just want you to know this summer what we're planning is not to take our foot off the gas. We're going all in this summer. We're going to have a lot of fun. In fact, there are special activities for kids. Kids are doing a special challenge this summer. If you have a kid fifth grade and below, you already probably know about that. I think it started actually today. And, uh, and the, the students are doing a lot of great things. They're doing two or three camps, including going to the big camp tomorrow. They're going to do several activities throughout the summer. In fact, if you don't know about any of those things, there's actually a summer activities card that you can pick up today out in the lobby at the Welcome Center. And it has activities for the kids, for the students, and for us adults. We're going to do some other than Sunday activities this summer. And we want to make sure you know about those things. So if you haven't already picked that up, out in the lobby on your way out today and this summer... We are going to be making movies come to life. 
We're actually going to do a brand new series starting two weeks from today called At the Movies. And what we're going to do with At the Movies is we're going to take some of the most popular movies and we're going to use some clips to illustrate important biblical truths that are applicable to your life and mine each and every day. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Each week we have some special snacks. The band's going to be opening with the song from the soundtrack that we're highlighting that day. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you'll plan to be here. In addition to that, to really help get the word out, we're actually going to send out this week thousands of mailers to homes right here around the Plano campus and we're going to send out thousands of mailers directly to homes around the Rock Hill campus to kind of let them know about it but as you know the most effective invite is a personal invite so be sure and invite somebody this summer to come and be part of this exciting summer the bottom line is we're going to have some fun this summer and I'm glad we're going to get to do that together. And then also next week, our founding pastor, PG, is going to be speaking here both at the Plano campus and at the Rock Hill campus. And so I'm excited about that as well. <laughs> I told PG, if no one claps, make sure you clap. And right on cue. <laughs> hey, my granddad used to say, he who tooteth not his own horn, the same horn shall not be tooted. And way to go. Well, I'm glad that you all are here because today we're finishing the Twisted series. And the verse that we're going to look at today, I just can't wait for us to dive in. But first, we've got our memory verse. And this is the verse that sort of summarizes the whole series. It's 2 Timothy 2.15. I want us to see it. I'm going to say it once, and then I'm going to ask you to say it out loud with me. It says, to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Would you say that out loud with me? Say it with me. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Good job. Good job. Well, the reality is we're going to look at a, high, a, a misused verse that you are probably familiar with. And if you're new to church and you don't know a lot of verses, you've probably still seen this one referenced. And I would argue that you've seen it quoted and probably used in a twisted way. So, with that said, I want us to see it. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And here's what it says. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, verse 11. If you've got your Bibles, in fact, you can go ahead and turn to Jeremiah. If you're not sure where it is, there's, there's a Bible there in your pew. You can kind of look it up in the table of contents, find the book of Jeremiah. We're going to look at it together, chapter 29 and verse 11. Like I said before, if you love this verse, at the first you're going to hate this message, but we're going to get to a good place. So hang in there, because I think it means something even better than you may know. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says, <clears throat> in fact, would you, let's just read this out loud together. Can we read it together? Say it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I just tell you, <clears throat> this is one of those comforting verses that really does offer a lot of hope to about anybody who will read it. And one of the popular times you see this often in graduation cards, this is the verse that you see, Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I got to go, my son Lincoln, uh, who's running sound back here today, he graduated from Prosper High School. We went to Prosper High School's graduation ceremony this week. I also got to go to Reedy uh, High School in Frisco's uh, baccalaureate uh, service this year, and then uh, about a week and a half ago. And then yesterday I went to Plano West uh, Senior High School graduation, 
And I'm going to tell you, I got to see more than 2,500 students walk across and get the big diploma. And over and over, I would hear or hear reference Jeremiah 29, 11. It's the popular verse in a graduation card. And because we, it's, it's out of a well-meaning heart that we want to encourage other people and say, God has good plans for you. He wants you to prosper. He doesn't want you to harm. He has a good hope. He has a good future for you. Is it, why would we not want to give this verse? Well, the only problem is it might not mean what we think it means. I remember when I was a teenager and I heard it for the first time and I remember thinking, man, this is a magical verse. I was trying to figure out, do I want to go into the military? Do I want to join uh, the military? Do I want to go into college? And, and this was like a verse that I thought, man, this is so good. And so what I did was what many of us do. When I would read this verse, I would replace the word you with Mark. And so I would read it this way. I would say, oh, for I know the plans I have for you, Mark, declares the Lord. Oh, this is so good. He's talking directly to me. I have plans to prosper Mark and not to harm Mark. Plans to give Mark a hope and a future. And I would think, God wants to prosper me. How cool is that? And now I live and prosper? Like how magical is this? This is so clearly my verse. And so I'm thinking, wow, he wants, it's a direct quote from the Lord. It's not like somebody talking about the Lord. It declares the Lord. It's a direct quote. This is a wonderful verse. But I've had pain, I've had trials, and I've never known anyone who had plans to prosper without harm and without trials. So then I go, well, you know what? As much as I love this verse, I don't know anybody who's actually experiencing the reality of what this verse seems to imply. And so there's a disconnect, and maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, but you know people who are, and you hear them talking about following God as an easier life, and you're like, I don't think I see that, because I know Christians who lost their job, who've lost their marriage, who've lost their health, and it doesn't seem like it's any better than my life. And, and some of you who are here, and you're struggling in some area of your life, and you're in some real pain and real heartache and real loneliness and longing, and you read a verse like this, and you feel like, man, there's just a disconnect. It almost feels like the Bible's a little bit out of touch. How does that work in what the Bible seems to be saying versus what I know I am experiencing? Prospering without harm? I've never known anyone who experienced that. And that's why we're talking about this because if we settle for a twisted interpretation of this verse, it will lead to a crashed faith of ours or someone we love. See, I believe with all my heart this Bible contains the most critical message of all. And so the question we're asking in this series is, if it does, how do I avoid twisting the most important message of all? How can I actually see what the Bible really says and really means? And so what we've been doing is we said, well, then most of the things are sort of twisted in our understanding because culturally or historically, we sort of we, we put, let all those things feed into how we read the Bible. And we've got to untwist these things from the Scripture and let the Scripture just say what the Scripture says. But how do we untwist those things? Well, there are two ways, two tools that we've been over and over emphasizing. And they are these two words, context and confirm. Say those two words with me out loud. Context and confirm. Or as I said a couple of weeks ago at Rock Hill, for some reason I got locked in my head, context. And I couldn't stop saying context. And finally, people were correcting me from the audience. It's context. I was like, oh, thank you. Very helpful. Context and confirm. So when you're reading the Bible going forward and you're in a place and you're like, I think this is what it means, but I'm not 100% sure. How can I untwist it and know for sure? Context and confirm. 
Context is, I want to know what came before the verse, what comes after the verse. I want to know who the author and the audience is. I want to slip into the sandals of the original author and know who they were writing to and why. What's confirm? Confirm is to confirm this theme or this topic with other verses in the Bible that are also on that theme or topic. And I want to confirm the truth I think this verse says with the rest of the Bible. The truth is, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And so if we consistently use context and confirm, we're going to untwist a lot of things that get very easily twisted and we are less likely to crash from misunderstanding the critical message, the most important message of all, God's Word. So with that said, let's take these two tools and let's apply them to Jeremiah 29 11. Because Jeremiah 29 11 says, I've got plans to prosper you without harm and we all go, yes, I'm going to give that to the graduate, because we want to encourage. So here's a twisted definition of how we use this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, to say, God wants me to prosper without pain, which sounds really, really good. The only problem is you've never known anyone, and I've never known anyone who prospered without pain. And so we give this verse to give hope, but I would argue we're giving false hope that's going to set people up for a crash, and it might be their faith that crashes. And so how can we look at this verse and better understand it? Well, we want to untwist it to know what it really says, and the best way to do that is to look at context and confirm. So let's look at context. What's the context of Jeremiah? Context for Jeremiah is there are these Jewish people, the nation of Israel. I'll remind you, if you're new to the faith, kind of their story They rebelled against God, and they were exiled for 70 years in the nation or the empire of Babylon. And this verse is written to the nation of Israel. Will you read that last sentence out loud with me? Read that with me. This verse is written to the nation of Israel. At least half of you participated, and thank you for doing that. Now if we could get 100%, let's try it again. The last sentence, say it out loud. It's so important. Say it with me. This verse is written to the nation of Israel. That's so key. Here's why the nation of Israel matters. Back in Genesis, God, through Abraham and Sarah, formed a nation through whom the Messiah, Jesus, would eventually come in the New Testament. And the whole Old Testament is about this nation of Israel being formed and then rebelling against God, coming back to God, rebelling against It's a cycle. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. It's the story. And this is a season when Jeremiah was written... And Jeremiah is writing to the nation of Israel. It's around 6th century B.C., 2,600 years ago. And he's essentially, this verse is written to who? You guys are on it. I knew you were smart. Even at 9 o'clock, you guys are already on it. Nation of Israel. He's writing not to an individual, but he's writing to the nation of Israel who's in captivity. In other words, their world's been turned upside down. They're going to be there for 70 years. And essentially, God is saying through Jeremiah, Listen, I know you're in captivity. I know things are bad. I know you're tempted to give up hope, but I just want you to know this. After 70 years, I'm going to bring the nation back out, and I'm still going to produce the Messiah through this nation. The future is bright. The hope is still there. I plan to prosper the nation without harm to my plan. Not one single individual back in that day would have heard that letter and thought, oh, we're going to prosper as an individual. They're in captivity in Babylon, where they most, most of them will end their journey on earth. None of them did what I did as a teenager. None of them inserted their name in the word you and thought it was for them. They all understood it was written for the nation of 
Israel. This is so important because as you read the Bible, you will see a lot of promises. But what we have to know is the Bible has specific promises and the Bible has general promises. The specific promises, as you would imagine, are for specific people or in this case, a specific nation. And then there are general promises and they're for everybody. This is where we get to jump on the bandwagon because they're for us too. But a lot of times the promise is for a specific group of people. And in this case, this promise, Jeremiah 29, 11, is for a specific nation. Now listen, if you have this verse on your coffee mug, if you have it on a magnet on your fridge, if you have it like on a t-shirt or your grandma crocheted like some kind of thing that you got hanging on your walls, or if you got it tattooed on your body, Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm going to tell you why you should keep it. Because it's still good. It's a great verse. I just think it means even more than you think it means. And my hope is you'll love the verse even more than when you came in today. So I don't want to get too discouraged yet. It's going to get better when it comes to this verse. But we've got to understand what it doesn't mean and who it wasn't to. It wasn't to us. Here's why it's so important. Because sometimes we will take good circumstances and we believe good circumstances reveal a good God. And if that's true then bad circumstances reveal a bad God. Circumstances don't say anything about the character of God. Because these people are in bad circumstances, they're in captivity, and yet they believe that God is still good. And here's why that's important, because sometimes we can take a verse that means something good and life is going well, you're graduating, and I'm going to make it mean what fits this moment. But then when life crashes and I'm at a funeral, that verse no longer applies. The truth is, if it's not true here when it's bad, then it wasn't true here when life was good. If scripture isn't true when life is good, when life is bad, then it's not true when life is good. Another way to say it is, if it can't be true in a poor country or in an Eastern African nation that's struggling with malaria, if it's not true there, it isn't true here. And we've got to be careful to not contextualize it to our experience and make it mean what we are experiencing. So well, then what is a verse that we can hold on to? What is a perspective or a promise for us? Well, let me give you a couple that you probably won't put on your coffee mug. Here's one in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, say the last word with me, persecuted. Don't put that one on our fridge, on your, on your, uh, on a magnet on your fridge, and look at that one every day, right? Or here's another one that's for general promise, Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to, say it with me, suffer for him. Put that one on your t-shirt. There's a new life verse, right? Right, like, I mean, we, we see these things are true. We see that all throughout scripture there will be these times. So then you might want to ask, well, then why would I follow Jesus? If he's not going to make life easy, in fact, this isn't part of the good news that I'm going to prosper without harm. Why am I going to sacrifice to come to church on Sundays at 9 o'clock? Why am I going to try to live a good moral life? I'm just going to do what I want. I'll be honest with you, if Christianity is a hobby, it's a really bad hobby. Like there's got to be better things that you can do if it's just going to be a hobby. So what's so good about Christianity if it doesn't guarantee a prosperous life? I just want to say, and here's the bottom line today. The good news is not that God will save you from your trials. The good news is that God will save you from your sins. And I saw a few of you nodding because you know the anchor of deep confidence that we need that more than anything. 
And some of us are like, ah, I'd like to have a trial-free life. I'd like to get out of the thing I'm battling right now. And what means is that we've lost sight of how good the good news really is. Or we've lost sight of how bad we really are. It's Romans 3.23 says for the, uh, that, that we fall short of the glory of God. That we have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We sh- fall short of his holiness. We fall short of his standard of perfection. In other words, it's not like we fall short like a basketball shot and we're trying to hit a three and it kind of limp kind of, uh, you know, comes off the, the lip of the realm and it fell a little short. It's not that kind of falling short. This is like, I'm going to try to jump across the Grand Canyon, but I didn't get very far at all. I had no chance of succeeding kind of falling short. This is sort of saying there is my righteousness, it is as filthy rags. There's nothing holy in me. There's nothing good in me. I am in need of a Savior and it took someone who was sinless to become my sin so that I then could be made whole, so that I could be made righteous and here's the really good news this nation did eventually come out of Babylon and it did eventually produce the Messiah the one who could be my sin and who could pay the penalty and the power of my sin and he went to the cross and it was there that he demonstrated his goodness not in my circumstances but on the cross where it says God demonstrated his love for me for us in that while we here's the part we contribute were sinners Christ died for us, and it was there that he displayed his goodness. In other words, the good news is not that I'm saved from trials. The good news is I am saved from sin. And when I recognize that, my only response is to do whatever it takes to follow him for the rest of my life, no matter what trials I have, no matter what knuckleheaded things I do, I keep coming back and falling down knowing, God, you rescued me from my eternal condemnation in my sin. That is the good news that no one and nothing can take away and nothing can separate us from that kind of eternal love that was displayed on the cross. That is the good news and that is worth celebrating. That is worth giving my life to this one Jesus, this Messiah, this Savior and King. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that being the good news, then I come back to this Jeremiah 29, 11, and I go, well, then what is it saying? What's so good about this verse then? If he's not promising that I'll be void of trials, it's so much better. Look at this verse again, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know these plans I have for you to prosper you, no harm, plans for hope and a future. This is so good. Think about who Jeremiah is writing to. Who's he writing to one more time? He's writing to the... Oh, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. So he's writing to the nation of Israel. What's the nation of Israel going through? They're in captivity. Everything's wrong in their life. They've messed up. And they have rebelled against God and they're following false gods. And they're in captivity and everything's wrong in their life because of their own behavior. Everything's fallen apart. And they are going to spend, most of them are going to spend the rest of their lives there in Babylon. And yet... The heart of our God is revealed in this moment where he comes and he says, I still have a plan for you. I'm not done with you. Hang in there. I'm going to take this nation and I'm going to free this nation someday. I have plans and they are good and they are hopeful and there is a bright future. That our God, even when they had messed up, came to them and said, but I still have a plan. Israel, you are not done 
Isn't this good news for those of us who've messed up? For those of us who need a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance? I don't know where you are in your marriage or where you are in your relationship with your employer or employees. I don't know where you are in your finances or in your family or or where you are in your faith. You may need another chance. You may go, you know what, I've messed up. And the good news is, just like we see here, that God has a heart for restoration. He loves to give people a new start. Jeremiah 29 and 11 to me, instead of looking at it as as, as false hope, instead it is a heart of restoration for anybody and everybody. And that is what I need to hear because that matches the life that I live. I need that kind of a heart. I need a God who loves me no matter what. And he does. But the best is yet to come. Because if you look at verses 12, 13, and 14, then you see a general promise that's matched and confirmed through the rest of Scripture. And look what it says in the next three verses. He says, and while you need a heart for restoration and you need a second chance, and some of you are here and you need that second chance, he goes on to say, and while you're there, you will call on me. And you will come and pray to me, and love this, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found. Here we go again. Declares the Lord. This is a direct quote from God. This is a promise to you and to me. That he, no matter what you go through, God promises to be with you. Here's the good news. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be there. So let's look at how this verse lands. Twisted versus the untwisted version when we used those two tools. Here's the twisted version of Jeremiah 29 11. God wants me to prosper without pain. We untwisted it though with context and through confirmation of other scriptures and then we see no actually you can persevere through pain because of God's presence. His promised presence. And I'm going to tell you that's a lot more hopeful in the life that I live and the life that I see others live. That my God is with me in the pain, not a promise that he will prevent the pain. Because I don't know anybody like that. Now, in the end, we don't want to settle for false hope. We don't want to settle for false news. I think our hearts long for the real good news. I want to end with a story that's personal that about 10 years ago, Ginger and I, my wife, we started a small group and we were in this small group and we we, uh, we had about five other couples that were our age that we started this couple with, and Matt and Leslie were in the group, and you see standing in this group are Matt and Leslie. They're the two that are standing, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I liked everybody in the group immediately. Uh, Matt, if I'm honest, was a little bit more of a challenge for me because Matt was very outspoken. He, he seemed a, a, a little harder-hearted, and he was one of those people who um, seemed to be more self-focused and less generous in his um, relationship with God and in his relationship with other people. We went and jumped into this group that we were in for about five or six years together, doing life together, and eventually <clears throat> Matt asked me if I would meet him at a coffee shop. And it was so odd because Matt didn't seem to have any interest in me or anybody else in the group, and so it was about a year into the group, and so we met at coffee, and I'm not kidding you, we're at Pete's Coffee there in Ventura, California. And as soon as we sat down, within seconds, he just looked and he said, well, I screwed up. And I think I've lost my family. And he went on to tell me that he had been having an emotional affair with uh, another lady from high school and that Leslie, his wife, had found out about it. And we've gotten to multiple times share this with other people. Uh, 
Matt, Leslie, Ginger, and I, and, and really our whole group even, has gotten the chance to do that. And, uh, but in this moment, it looked like it was all over with. And the, the truth is, as Matt shared the story, he did it in such a matter-of-fact way that, that I couldn't tell if he was sorry or sorry he'd gotten caught. And when we were done, he was just like, well, so that's it. And it was just sort of so matter-of-fact that when we left, I, honestly, I was mad at him because I knew the consequences this would have on his family and his two boys. And my heart broke for Leslie, his wife. And the one thing I was never tempted to do was to call Leslie up and say, hey, Jeremiah 29, 11, hang in there. God has plans to prosper you without harm. Here's a hope and a future. Just, just claim that verse, stand on that verse, whatever that means when we say that. Well, about a week later, Matt called me again and said, hey, can we meet for coffee? But all of a sudden, when we met this time, a lot had changed. And Matt all of a sudden was remorseful and desperate to save his family. I think it had caught up to him what was at stake. And what I said to Matt was, well, Matt, here's what I think you ought to do. I think you ought to go to our group, and you ought to let them know exactly what you've done. And I know that'll be embarrassing, and that'll take a lot of humility to come clean like that. But I think you need accountability, and I think you need support and encouragement to move forward. And everything in me knew there was no way this guy would do that. But I was shocked when he said, well, then I'll do that. And so he talked with Leslie, and they both agreed this was something they were going to do. They began to seek counseling. They came to our group. A lot of times we guys would go outside in the fire pit, and the ladies would stay inside in the living room. Every once in a while we'd get together. I'll be honest with you, sometimes the conversations were super awkward. Sometimes they were like, we were like hugging each other. We're like, man, this is, we're here with you. We're walking with you, and we're so for you. And over the next year, we all watched Matt's heart get so much softer and Matt become so much more transparent and so much more open in his relationship with God and with other people. Like we were seeing a man transformed over that next year in a way that was very unusual. And I would even go as far to use the M word. It felt like it was a miracle to me to watch this grown man be so hard-hearted, crash and then so humbly come out with open hands saying, I will do, God, whatever you need me to do. I'm not going to be the same again. And Leslie often talks about the, the change in her husband, that she has a marriage before all this, and now she has a marriage after all this. It's completely different. Matt grew so much through this season that they, he, they began doing Bible studies at home together. They continued in this group for several more years. And then he eventually started leading men's groups. And, and, and I got to be in some of those groups that he was leading. And he was amazing because he just wanted to encourage other guys. And then Matt and Leslie would lead couples groups. And they were amazing because they want to encourage other marriages. It was so fascinating to watch the transformation in Matt's life that there have been many times since that I have personally struggled with. Like, God, do you still change lives? And I'll say, God, can you remind me of some lives that were changed so that I can stay encouraged? And over and over, Matt was always one of the people at the top of the list that I got to have a front row seat of watching God change his life and I was reminded yes God still changes lives when we walk in in humility he loves to restore he loves to transform and that's what he did with Matt so over the years there have been couple after couple after couple whose faith has been encouraged I am one of those people who because of his transformation I have been encouraged in my faith and it felt like they had literally left Babylon and they came to a place of freedom and we all hoped the worst was over with for this great couple. But a couple of weeks ago, I got a text, and I was sitting in my truck, and I looked at that text, and I, my brain froze when I read those words. 
See, Matt loved to go to the gym every morning and work out. And every morning he would go and work out, he would come home afterwards and he would fix his family breakfast. And what that text read was that Matt had gone to work out that morning early and he had had a massive stroke and he died right there in the gym at the age of 54. And all of us were just so shocked in this group. We were like, I didn't even have Leslie's number. I got it from Ginger, my wife. I said, what's her phone? So I reached out to her and we prayed over the phone. And I'm telling you, Jeremiah 29, 11 never one time came in my mind when I'm on the phone with her. I wouldn't want to hurt her with false hope. Instead, we just wanted to walk with her and hear from her as she began to share what had happened. And she said, hey, is there any way that that you guys could come out and our group could get back together again. So, so this next Sunday, Ginger and I are going to we'll fly out this weekend and we'll be together with Leslie and with our small group again. And then our small group will all go to Matt's memorial service that I will officiate next Sunday. And I'll tell you, it's, just, it's weird to even say right now. He, he. But I talked to Leslie on Friday and one of the things Leslie said was that she knows that God is with her she doesn't understand this. She didn't want this. But she is convinced that he gave his life fully to Jesus in the process of this tragedy, in the process of this broken season of their life. And she is convinced that God met them in their dark moment and that he will meet them again now. And one of the things she said was, I am convinced that he is with me and that Matt knows God, and he is now with God, and that I will see him again someday. And that is the good news that our hearts long for more than anything. And no circumstance can break that, the power of that good news. That Matt truly surrendered to this Jesus. And the good news is not that God would save Matt from his trials, but that he saved Matt from his sins, just like me and you. And death can't even separate us from that love. That's the good news. Trials will come, but nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is the good news our hearts long for. Not the shallow, please take this away. No, the you, nothing can take this away. It's the love of God. See, I think Jeremiah 29 fits a lot better at a funeral than a graduation because it gives hope that's so much deeper. It's a deep confidence that we all need, and that is the deep confidence of the good news. And so today, I know that some of you are facing challenges. Some of you have had hard medical news. Some of you are here, and you're in a family chaos, or you have financial crisis, or there's a relational challenge, or maybe it's something to do with, with your own faith and doubting, or your mental health, or someone else's depression or anxiety, and you're wrestling in that season of hard news, of trials, of this doesn't match what I thought Jeremiah 29, 11 said, and I'm trying to figure out what this means and some of you are in that place and I just want to pray for you today that you don't have to carry this alone you're not by yourself in this season and so if that's you I just want to offer a prayer for you and I want to ask you to be courageous enough to just let me know so that I can pray for you if that's you today would you do me a favor just right where you sit 
If you're just in a challenge, or maybe you know somebody who's been in a challenge or is in a challenge, and you care about this person, somebody that you love is in that place, would you just do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you today? If that's you or someone you know, you're in a challenge, yeah, a lot of you. Who else? Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you today? Let's pray. Father, I, I know that you see all the hands that are lifted and the ones that weren't who are in a challenge. And God, in this season, Father, I just want to say thank you for all those who raised their hands who were courageous enough to do that. And Lord, you know the depth of challenge and pain in their life. God, I thank you that your highest purpose is to save us from our sins. And Father, for those who are hurting today, would you through the power of the Holy Spirit let them know that you are enough, that you will be with them and you are sufficient for them. God, would you guide our hearts and our minds to a supernatural peace that passes all our human understanding to the supernatural sense of your presence who alone can satisfy. Father, we need you today, and I know there are hurting hearts. I pray they are comforted by the one who draws near when we're hurting. I pray it in Jesus' name. And if you would just continue to keep your eyes closed for a second, I want to pray for those of you who might be here today who are here for a bigger purpose, and you didn't know it when you came in today. But like Matt, you have never fully surrendered to Jesus. In church attendance and being good and having a spouse or a family member who's good isn't enough to be surrendered. Matt had all those things. But it starts with knowing we aren't good enough, that we fall short. We can't jump the Grand Canyon. But the death of Jesus rescues us from our sin. And we squarely place our hope in the resurrected and crucified Savior. Oh, the good news is he saves us from our trials. Not that he saves us from our trials, but he does save us from our sins. So if you're ready to surrender today, would you pray this prayer after me? Just right where you sit, would you pray this prayer? Jesus, today, I surrender to you once and for all. I recognize that you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead. And God, today, I want to make you my Savior and Lord and follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I just want to tell you, if you made that, that declaration, if you prayed that prayer, I want to hear from you. In fact, I would love to hear from everybody in this room. I really would. If you would do me a favor and you would just right now take out your phone if you have a prayer request for you or somebody that you know, just go ahead right now and take out your phone. And what I want to ask you to do is scan this QR code. And you've got two options. You can either let us know something you want us to pray with you about or someone else about in your life. Go ahead and just click that QR code. Or you can just let us know, today I decided to follow Jesus. And we want to celebrate and pray for you there as well. Just let us know so that we can pray for you. You know why? because you weren't meant to experience trials alone. It's why we're gonna launch a bunch of new small groups this fall, because we don't want you to experience trials alone. I hope you'll plan to make room in your calendar for that. All right, would you stand with me today as we are dismissed? Would you stand with me? And I just wanna close this in a quick prayer. God, we thank you so much for who you are, that you give us your word, the most important message of all. And we wanna, 
continue to practice with both context and to confirm so that we are untwisting the truths of Scripture to know what you really say. And you be glorified in our life. That is our prayer. And it's in the power of your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.